This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Okay, good morning, everyone. Can you hear me clearly? Okay, that's good. Uh, good to see all of you here this morning, and uh, it's a really good passage that we're looking at today. So let's go to God as we ask Him to help us to understand His Word. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we pray that once again, uh, as we come to this wonderful book in the Gospel of Mark, that we will truly be able to understand what it's saying. We pray that you may help us to put aside our distractions, our worries, uh, to really hear uh, very clearly uh, what your word is saying. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Anybody uh, let you down lately? Has anybody let you down lately? I think that, uh, unfortunately, we live in a world where people do let us down. Uh, I remember when I went to boarding school when I was 12 years old. Um, I was uh, in a very strange environment. I went from eating rice every day to eating uh, pork chops, steak and kidney pies, uh, spaghetti. And that was my main diet for like uh, the great part of the year. People were quite strange to me. And uh, when I went there, I was looking for someone to be like a mentor to me. Uh, someone that I could sort of look up to. But during my time in boarding school, uh, unfortunately, I sort of found that no matter who I turned to, whether it be a prefect or a head boy or a senior boy or hall master, uh, invariably, uh, they would, in a sense, let me down. And part of the problem is really I was expecting too much of them because they were only human. But I think that the sentiment that I felt then in boarding school is a bit like the world that we live in today. Because we live in a world where there's truly a crisis of confidence in people, in leadership. Uh, So nowadays, you see this hashtag, right, um, that you see around the world, which is uh, not my president or not my prime minister. And you'll see that if uh, you look at this slide up here, there are a few slides actually, where basically for every leader of every major city, uh, sorry, major country around the world, uh, people will feel disappointed and they will reject that leader, whether it be President Trump or Boris Johnson or even Scott Morrison in Australia. Because we live in a time where we expect a lot from our leaders, but ultimately the leaders will let us down. They will disappoint us. So as we come today to Mark chapter 1, verse 16 onwards, we come to what I think is a second section in the book of Mark. So last week, uh, we were told about the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, if we were looking through the book, and if you're going through the Bible study, you'll know that chapter 1, verse 1 to about 13, Jesus is a bit like in the background. He's kind of like a background character. He's described in the third person. He is a passive like uh, object of the text. He's definitely in the background of the text. And basically, we have Mark, the gospel writer, telling us about Jesus, We have John the Baptist telling us about Jesus. We have the voice from heaven telling us about Jesus. So they are more on the forefront of the passage, and Jesus is more like the person who's being described. So what do we learn about Jesus last week? What do we learn about what Mark says about Jesus, what John says about Jesus, what God the Father says about Jesus? Well, if you look at this passage... You see that last week we learned from the gospel writer Mark himself that Jesus was the Christ. He was the Messiah and he would be the one who would be the everlasting king. Jesus was the son of God. 
John the Baptist says that Jesus is the one who brings the forgiveness of sins. Jesus will be the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Uh, God the Father speaking from heaven says that Jesus is his son. He is pleasing to him. He is the faithful servant. So as we've seen last week, there are great expectations about Jesus. There is uh, this anticipation about this good news. We are looking forward to respond positively to this good news. But the question is, can Jesus live up to our expectations, right? Is he someone who is going to uh, let us down or is he someone who is actually going to uh, fulfill uh, these expectations have been created in verse 1 to 13? So today as we look in the the rest of the book of Mark, as we begin in verse 15 onwards, we see that that Jesus moves from being in the background to coming up to the foreground, right? He's very much in the middle of the action. And we ourselves as the reader find ourselves right in the middle of the action. Uh, Mark doesn't give us any commentary. There's no opinion. There's no editorial. We just find ourselves in the middle of the action. And as we find ourselves in the middle of the action, really, Mark, I think, is trying to get us to answer these two questions. And these two questions are, the next slide, who is this person, Jesus? Right? And does he live up to everything that we've heard about him from verse 1 to 13? Right? So we're like in the middle of the action, we're part of the scene. And as we're going through the scene, we're kind of like asking ourselves this question, who is this person, Jesus? And does he live up to the endorsement that we've received in verse 1 to 13? So let's look at the text now, and I hope that you have your Bibles in front of you, because you're going to have to go through it with me, because uh, as we go through it, don't forget we are in the middle of the action, right? As we go through the action, we're asking ourselves, what exactly is happening? Who is this person, Jesus? Does he live up to what we've heard about Jesus? So in verse 13 and 16, it says, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So we find ourselves straight away uh, by the Sea of Galilee, uh, the Sea of Galilee, if you look at this map, is actually an inland sea. It's not like the ocean, like not, it's not like the Straits of Malacca, right, in the middle of the sea. It's actually an inland sea. And uh, for those of you, I think uh, there are some of you who've been to Israel before. It's actually a real sea. It still exists today. Although apparently, if you, when I Googled it, there's a bit of a drought, so it's smaller than before. But people still can, can still fish in the sea and they can still be on boats in this inland sea. And uh, 2,000 years ago, Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he comes to two brothers, Simon and Andrew. Now, as as characteristic of the book of Mark, we're not told uh, many details, but from the reading of the text, it doesn't seem as if Jesus has ever bumped into these people before. Like They're like complete strangers to him, right? It's like he doesn't know them. But yet he does a very curious thing, right? He says to them, come follow me. Now this word here, come, is the idea of, the, of urgency, an idea of, a, of a demand, or even as a tone of immediacy. Right, come now. Right, come and now. 
Come now and follow me. And follow me is the language of discipleship, right? It's like uh, leave behind your previous life and be my disciple. Come and follow me. Cut off your old ties, your old relationships and follow me. And surprisingly, the two brothers, they follow Jesus, it says here, at once, immediately. Now something revolutionary is happening here. There's a radical call, right? Jesus calls them with great urgency. There's radical discipleship. He asks them to leave everything and follow him. And there's radical obedience. At once, they left their nets and followed him. It's not as if Simon and Andrew were like uh, jobless, you know, like they were like bored, nothing to do. They're looking for some adventure. They were working. They had nets. They were repairing their nets. They were fishermen. That was their occupation. That was their livelihood. But yet they left their nets. They left their occupation. They left their livelihood and followed Jesus. Now, in case we think that this is just an exceptional one-off situation, we are told by Mark that it happens again. And this time, Jesus bumps into another two brothers, James and John. And this time, James and John seem to be part of a family business. Right? They are in the boat with their father, so we presume that they have a business. Maybe they are one of many boats. Again, they are fishermen, but they are business fishermen. And again, Jesus calls them to follow him. And again, we read that without delay... They followed him. Now, if you look at this word without delay, in the original language, is actually the same word is as immediately at once in the other part. So both times, both sets of brothers heard the radical call of Jesus. They heard the radical demand of the obedience of Jesus. And both times, immediately, they followed Jesus. And the first time, there was great sacrifice in terms of their livelihood, but the second time was even greater sacrifice where they left their business, they left their father, they left their boats. Now, I don't know about you, but I have trouble calling people. I go to the restaurant, I'm trying to get attention from the waiter, right? You know, and somehow when when I'm the one wanting to get service from the waiter, somehow all the waiters disappear. But Jesus... Something authoritative about his voice or his demand is such that he can call people radically to radical uh, obedience and they radically will immediately, without uh, a moment, follow him. So therefore, as we see in this passage, Jesus has this authority to call people to some radical obedience. Now, in case we read this passage and we think that Jesus is just kind of like showing off, um, actually, he's not showing off, is he? Because if you look at the passage, the reason why I think as we are reading this passage and when you think through this passage and reflect on this passage, that Jesus says, come and follow me now, is because there is a great mission for these four brothers to be engaged in. And what is that mission? It says here, Jesus says, I will send you out to be f- to fish for people. Uh, actually, I don't really like that phrase, right? maybe because I grew up on the older translation of the Bible. I always think of it, the fisher of men, right? They are fishers of men. They used to be fishers of pe- uh, fish, but now he wants them to come today 
to be fishers of men. Now, what does it really mean to be a fisher of men? Uh, If you think of a big net and you catch fish, well, I think the idea is you're just kind of like catching the fish and drawing them onto the boat, right? You are gathering the fish and you're bringing the fish in. Now, that can be a positive picture or that can be a negative picture because obviously if you catch fish, then they're destined for the sushi table or the marketplace and they're going to die, right? Uh, But as we look at this passage, when Jesus talks to uh, Andrew, Simon, James, John, he's asking them to be fishers of men, not in a negative sense, but in a positive sense. Because the context of this section comes straight after verse 14 and 15. And in verse 14 and 15, Jesus said that he had come to proclaim the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So this is followed immediately by him calling the disciples to be fishers of men. So I think what's happening here is that Simon, Andrew, James and John are to be part of the mission of Jesus to gather in people, to draw in people, to bring people into the kingdom of God which is the mission of Jesus, isn't it? The kingdom of God has come near, so bring people into the kingdom. So as we look at this passage, really, there are two things that we see here. One is authority, right? Jesus has this radical authority to call people to obedience, to call people to discipleship. But at the same time, uh, click twice, he also is on a mission. He's on a mission to draw people into the kingdom of God. Now, we then move on to the next section in verse 21 to 28. It says, uh, They then went on to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently, and he came out of him with a shriek. The people were also amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Now you notice there's a word that keeps being repeated in this section. And the word is authority. Right? He thought with authority. Now, <clears throat> when you think of the word authority, uh, it can have a dual meaning, right? So authority can have the meaning of power. You know, you have great authority. So there's the idea of, uh, you can click once, yep, of power, isn't it? I have authority. I have authority over you. I have power over you. But authority can also mean uh, knowledge, right? A person is uh, the authority on, uh, I don't know, medieval archaeology or something, right? He is a worldwide recognized authority. So authority can have have the meaning of power, And it can also have the meaning of knowledge. 
I think that as we look at this passage, we see that Jesus displays both these authorities in Capernaum. So first of all, it says here that he goes to the synagogue. The synagogue is like the Jewish church, right? They meet in the house, they study. And Jesus went to the synagogue and he began to teach. And he taught in such a way that the people said that, hey, look, this person teaches with authority. He doesn't teach as the teachers of the law. You see, in those days, when the teachers of the law taught, they didn't teach in the way that Jesus taught with authority. Uh, How they would teach is they would resort to tradition. They would resort to a, a history of interpretation. So they would have a referred authority, a secondary authority. There would be the Bible text, and then what the commentator said, and then what the teacher teaches based on what the commentary says about the text, and then the audience would then listen. So it would be like a, a, resort, a, a referred or a secondary authority. But Jesus didn't teach like the teachers of the law. He taught with primary authority, with real knowledge, real revelation, real illumination. Now, as we look at this passage, remember the question we're always supposed to ask ourselves is, How come Jesus is able to teach with this distinctive authority? It must be because we've already been told at the beginning that he is the Son of God. And because he is the Son of God, he is able to bring revelation directly from God and not as what the commentator says or what the commentary says or what the history of interpretation says. But the passage also goes on to say that Jesus has real authority in terms of power. And we see this because in the, in the synagogue, in the Jewish church, on that day, there happened to be a man possessed by an evil spirit. Now, the religious teachers of the day, they could only wring their hands in despair. And the reason why they couldn't do anything about this man who was possessed by an evil spirit is because they had no power. They had no real authority. They were weak and feeble in terms of authority. But Jesus was completely different because he cast out this evil spirit. Uh, Jesus didn't spend an hour having a healing session. There was no prayer. There was no technique. There was no spells. There was no symbolic act. Right? He didn't put holy water on this person. He just spoke the simple words and said, Be quiet, come out of him, and the Spirit left the man. Now here in this section, I think we need to pay attention because if you look at the passage itself, right, the next slide, the way that the the evil spirit speaks uh, actually reveals a lot about the authority of Jesus. Because the man was possessed by an impure spirit, singular, one impure spirit. But I want you to pay attention to the way the impure spirit speaks. He says to Jesus, What have you to do with us? Have you come to destroy us? So actually, Jesus' authority, his power, does not just extend to one evil spirit, but he has the capacity and the capability the authority to destroy all the evil spirits, plural, right? 
He has the capacity to to overcome all evil spirits. And that's why what this evil spirit says is so important. He has that power because he is the Holy One of God. Now, this again is very important, right? Because as we come to this very short, uh, I guess, explanation or account of Jesus' experiences in Capernaum and the Sea of Galilee, what have we been learning? Okay, the next slide. Okay, we see that Jesus has the authority to call people, but he has the authority in terms of power, and he has authority in terms of revelation, illumination, knowledge. Okay, click twice again. So when the people uh, saw what had happened, uh, they were amazed. They were amazed and they asked themselves this question, what is this, right? What is this? So in a sense, as we find ourselves in the action, right? Because we are finding ourselves in action. Mark doesn't give us any explanation. He's just telling us what's happening one after another. We are meant to also ask this question, what is this? I remember uh, reading my old lecture notes uh, when I studied the book of Mark in Theological College many years ago. Uh, and, oh, okay, next slide. And I always remember what the, my lecturer said. He said, understanding the characters is, un- is essential to understanding uh, the story of Mark. Understanding the characters is essential to understanding the story of Mark. And I think that's exactly true, isn't it? Uh, You can click twice. Because in order to really understand what's happening, we kind of like have to put ourselves in the middle of the action and ask ourselves, if we were there at that time, how would we understand Jesus? How would we react to Jesus? And the question that is being asked, who is this, is actually the right question to ask, isn't it? When we see Jesus casting out uh, the demon with the power to cast out all demons, when we see Jesus preaching with authority, then the question we need to ask is, who is this? And obviously we know the answer, right? Because we, we have the benefit of verse 1 to 13. We know that, that who this is, is the Son of God. is the Christ. And that's why he is able to show this authoritative power and knowledge. <clears throat> The passages go on, then goes on in verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, it says, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. So the two brothers come together and they go to the home of Simon and Andrew. And when they get to get there, uh, Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed, and the whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Now, uh, there's a bad bug going around uh, Singapore at the moment. I know that many people in church are sick, right? They have colds or flus and whatnot. Now, usually when you have a fever, you are feeling uh, pretty bad. Like, you need to take your ibobufin, 
you take your Panadol, you take your aspirin, you still feel pretty bad, right? I mean, uh, this cold that's going around, people tell me after two weeks, they still feel unwell, right? they still feel weak. So what Jesus does, as we read here, is very, very, uh, almost matter of fact, isn't it? He doesn't say anything. He doesn't have any healing session. He doesn't pray over uh, Simon's mother-in-law. He just takes her by the hand. She gets up. Voila! She's completely well. And she has no residual side effects. She's not weak. She just goes back to normal. She's able to serve them and to be with them. Now, when we read this, we think, oh, wow, this is really phenomenal. But what we read next is even more phenomenal because it says that after what happened that evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed. And the whole town gathered the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. And he also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Now, what Jesus does with the Simon and, uh, Simon's mother-in-law is already phenomenal, right? You heal completely, right? You're, you're not as if you take weeks to get better. But there, the whole town comes and he heals them, which is even more phenomenal. Now, I think that the problem we have today is our expectation of Jesus may be a bit clouded because perhaps you've gone to a healing session uh, somehow in your Christian life or someone's invited you to a healing session or you've looked at an advertisement about a healing session and you know your idea of a healing session is somebody goes there, there's a bit of a backache and maybe they feel a bit better. Maybe there's a 1%, 2%, 5% success rate. But Jesus' success rate seems to be like 100%, right? So it's almost as if Jesus went to the Singapore General Hospital <clears throat> and he went floor to floor to floor to floor, room to room to room. And then by the end of Jesus going floor to floor to floor, room to room to room, everybody goes home. Right? That's the, that's the level of healing that Jesus seems to be presented uh, you know, here in the passage. All the whole town comes to him and he heals everybody. So this is the power or the authority that Jesus has. Do I have another clip here? Uh, next one. Is that another one? Okay. Now, the problem is that the authority of Jesus to heal was so great that everybody hears about it and everybody wants to come for the healing authority of Jesus. They want, you know, Jesus is like this walking healing machine now, right? Everybody wants to come and everybody wants to be healed. Even the disciples, it says, come to Jesus because they are looking to Jesus to bring healing for the people. So when uh, Jesus goes off to pray early in the morning, remember, okay, so you think of the timeline, right? He goes to uh, Simon's house, heals the mother-in-law, all the people come, they've been healed, he's been healing throughout the day, he goes to sleep early the next day, he wakes up in the morning, he goes to pray. The disciples come to Jesus and they say, everyone is looking for you. Now, I feel like the tone of the disciples here 
you can sort of sense there is a note of uh, annoyance, right? A note of uh, impatience. It's almost like they're saying, everyone is looking for you, you know? Right? It's that sort of, you know, what are you doing, Jesus? You, you know, you've obviously drawn all these crowds and, uh, you know, it's like you're the nurse at the clinic and the doctor comes late, right? You know, you know everybody's waiting for you. But then Jesus uh, says a very strange thing, right? Because in verse 38, 39, he doesn't actually go on into the city anymore to heal those people. In verse 38, he says, Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can heal. No, he didn't say that. He says, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Now, what seems to be happening here is Jesus, so again, as we put ourselves in the scene, Jesus has the authority to heal, but his mission is not healing. His mission is to preach, to preach the kingdom of God. And it seems like even the disciples have forgotten about the mission, right? Because they were called to radical uh, discipleship. What for? Not to be healers of men, but to be fishers of men. And that's the key mission of Jesus, that he has authority, but he doesn't exercise the authority just for the sake of the authority. He exercises authority as part of his person, but his real mission is to draw and to bring in and to gather people into the kingdom of God. So as we look at this passage, um, the next slide. Oh, okay. Yep. Right. Okay. Next one. So the next, it seems as if, oh, okay. Uh, yep. Next one. Because so it seems as if uh, what people wanted was healing, right? So they, they, they saw that everybody was being healed. Their relatives were being healed. Their friends were being healed. So they wanted to be healed. But Jesus is not really interested in giving them what they want. He's interested in giving them what they need. And what they need is not healing. Uh, next slide. Okay, you know, just click a few times more. Yeah. Some more? Yeah. Again? Okay, again. Again. Okay, good. So what they want is healing. But that's not what really they need. What they need is the mission of Jesus which is the kingdom of God. You see, when you think about it, right, uh, life is very precious. Right? Life is very precious. Uh, I just went to a funeral last week. Very sad. But the thing I took away was life is very precious. Uh, I have an uncle who lives in Switzerland. Uh, a few years ago, he had uh, stage 4 throat cancer. And um, <clears throat> he was very desperate uh, to live. He was a smoker. And uh, he asked me to pray for him. I prayed for him. I knew other people who prayed for him. Miraculously, he was healed. Stage 4 throat cancer. Uh, the doctors in Switzerland all said that he would die in a few months and then today he's alive and he has no more cancer. So I remember speaking to my uncle and I said, hey, you know, now that you're healed and God has healed you, don't you think that you should believe in Jesus Christ? Don't you think that you should, you know, consider uh, Jesus and believe in Him? 
And he said, no, 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 it wasn't Jesus. It was the medicines, right? And for my uncle, life was really precious, right? But what does really my uncle gain? Maybe 10 years more, 20 years more, maybe the maximum 30 years of life. Because, you know, my uncle is in his 70s. He can't live forever, right? I mean, yes, he can in a certain way, but, but he, you know, he can only live this physical life 10, 20, 30 years more. Now, if life is precious, those 10, 20, 30 years of life, then how much more precious is eternal, infinite, everlasting life? Right? When you, when you, how do you measure and value uh, those 20, 30 years compared to eternal, infinite, everlasting life. But I feel like for my uncle, uh, he wanted healing. But actually what he really needed was the kingdom of God. I think that for my uncle, just like for the crowd, right? Remember we are in the crowd now as we read through the book of Mark. It's really kind of like short-term thinking. It's a faulty logic, right? That if you come to Jesus for his authority to heal, you recognize his authority to heal, and you think that that's the most important thing, then you have missed the picture, right? the big picture. Because the big picture is Jesus has not come to heal, but to preach and to draw and bring people into the kingdom of God where they will not just live for an additional 10, 20, 30 years, but they will live for an eternity in the kingdom of God. That is the the, the logical thinking, that is the long view. So as we come to today's passage, let us recognize that Jesus, as we just look at these 16 verses, right, he doesn't let us down. Right? He, he comes with great endorsement, great expectation. He is the good news. And just looking at this very, very short few accounts of the reality of Jesus, he does not let us down. In fact, he goes beyond our expectation. He, is, he has the ability and the authority to call people to radical obedience. He has real authority in terms of knowledge and revelation. He has real authority in terms of the power to cast out all evil spirits. And he has the power and authority to heal. But that is not why we come to Jesus. We come to Jesus because he brings us into the kingdom of God. So for ourselves, I hope that as we, we come just in this first chapter, only the first chapter of Mark, uh, really, it is such a great news that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the son of God. He is the Christ. He is the one who can give us the forgiveness of sins. He is the one that can give us the kingdom of God and the great eternal life that that brings so I hope that as we live in this world, which, uh, as uh, Yongke was saying, is full of turmoil, uncertainty, doubt, and despair, uh, the good news of Jesus is really real. It's not something which is uh, going to let us down, like the leaders of this world, because Jesus is not human, but Jesus is beyond our expectation, beyond our, even our, our wildest dreams, because he is the Son of God. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we pray that as we read through the book of Mark, as we go through this passage, 
that as we put ourselves in the scene, as we are almost one of the crowd, and we ask ourselves the question, who is this? What is this? We must come to the conclusion conclusion that Jesus, even at this very early stage, is truly remarkable. He must be the Son of God. He must be your Son. He must be the Messiah and the Christ. For no one else can have this authority. And dear Father, help us not to be drawn to Jesus because of his authority in terms of just knowledge or, or healing, but to see that what we really need is the kingdom of God. What we really need is the forgiveness of sins. Dear Father, help us not to have faulty thinking and to think that uh, life, maybe just 10, 20, 30 years more, is what is precious. But rather, what is truly precious is the infinite and eternal life that comes with the kingdom of God. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.